You know, it's funny that vulnerability is a powerful thing. Uh, it seems like a paradox because the world tells us that to hide your fears, mask your weakness, cover what you don't know will bring gain and power and worth. But the reality is that the most influential people are those willing to humble themselves and express their struggles um, because it speaks to our common experience. The interview you're about to hear is with someone who is willing to admit their brokenness and express a deep-rooted hope that brings lasting change. Uh, two things that we would request. If you like what you hear, please share. Uh, we do know that tons of people are going uh, through similar circumstances um, and have that uh, common experience with the interviewee. Um, also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support and it will carry you to a link where you can become a patron. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello folks, this is your host Corey Pelton and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. I go to an accountant and I say, what's, you know, what's the aftermath here? You know, run the numbers for me. And she said, it looks like uh, you're about $80,000 in debt. Our guest today on Fish Food is Will Gray. Will wears several different hats. Um, he is a consultant that helps you be yourself well. He does this both for organizations um, through his company called Align. He works with nonprofits and startups and mid-sized companies, helping them become a better version um, of, of themselves as, as a company. And then he does uh, something called vocationality, where he works with individuals to help them discover what they're, what they're made to do. Um, but then also, um, the majority of his time is spent as the um, marketing communications uh, director for Fortis Riders, which is a high-end chauffeur company um, that serves around the world. Uh, Will is a great guy, very helpful. Um, he has helped many, many businesses, many, many people um, to figure out uh, how they're made and what they're made for. Uh, today, as we um, talk through um, uh, his life, he brings up a situation in which he um, found himself in a place where he uh, didn't have work and had some great debt, but how God used that to mold him into where he is now. So we welcome today Will Gray. So here in Greenville, South Carolina, one of the questions that people get is, uh, so you from Greenville or? And I always have to pause it's a little true. bit because very true. I was not born in Greenville, uh -huh. but I don't remember living anywhere else. We moved, my family moved to Greenville. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was sitting near a couple at lunch one time. And by the way, I enjoy doing accents and I mean it out of kindness in my heart. I just love them. I was sitting there, a couple, and they said, oh, hello, how you doing? You know, you, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I've lived in Greenville pretty much my whole life. 
oh, you've lived in Greenville. You don't have the Greenville accent, you know? And, and uh, I said, well, I guess not. I guess not. You know, my parents were from Utah and Pennsylvania, but, you know, I've lived here. And, and Greenville's a really international city. But I am a husband to Allison, father to three children. Eden's almost 10, Vincent's almost eight. And then we had a surprise recently. And our son, Sydney is almost four months old. Sweet. So we're having fun with that. And um, during the week, um, I have kind of a, an interesting stretch of things that I do because I've learned that I'm helpful to, to others in figuring out who, they're, who they are, who they're gifted to be. And so sometimes I do that on a personal level through a program called Vocationality. But more often in the past, I've helped companies. Um, and this is kind of an unusual approach, but, and this is not really part of the story, but uh, um, I help companies to figure out who they are as a unique group of image bearers and how mm. that can affect really living out who they're made to be as a company, um, which frees them up really to succeed in ways that they're not able to when they're just thinking about competing against some other company that's really not like them at all. Mm. Um, and through that process of working with companies in that way, I got connected with Fortis Riders, which is a high-end chauffeured service. They were one of my clients, and now I work with them full-time um, in addition to other clients from time to time. And they're a company run by believers, and they arrange high-end chauffeured service in more than 100 countries around the world. So I mean, like, e we're talking even, like, bulletproof vehicles. And oh, yeah. Yeah, if they're, cool if they're needed in Buenos Aires, we arrange bulletproof you know, armored vehicles. We can arrange executive protection personnel, lead vehicle, chase vehicle, uh, whatever the needs <laughs> happen to look like. So cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And so I, I think particularly if your listeners are wondering, are, you know, are there believers who are having an influence on uh, what Bernie Sanders would call the 1% of the 1%, you know, then the answer is yes. I mean, this is one company um, that is uh, deeply loving yeah. Uh, the billionaires of the world, the teams who work for them, and the chauffeurs who care for them all over the world, which are classically two groups that are very lonely and unreached. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. So um, so you wear, I mean, sort of two hats. I mean, you work for yeah. them and helping right. them, but you also have these other mm -hmm. uh, helping people and helping businesses yes. outside of Fortis Riders yes. also. Um, is this something you do outside of Greenville also? Is this yeah. something you're, you I go? Do. I okay. do from time to time. It's mainly been word of mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a tendency to take on too much mm. in my life. Mm. So I've, uh, I've actually just tried to sustain new business from word of mouth right, since I've been right. full-time with Fortis Riders. I think for my own sanity and the health of my family and even some of what you'll hear during the story we're gonna talk about today, okay. you'll see some of the tendency to uh, become overwhelmed. So you don't want to give your phone number on here no. or your email well, address. Uh, hey, or if you're listening. Self-promotion, come on. Absolutely. If you're listening and you help to run an organization, could be a nonprofit, startup, um, established company that wants to grow, um, absolutely you should look up alignedforbusiness.com. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're listening and you would like to have a clearer sense of who you're made to be and what your gifts are and how that could how you could connect more deeply with your work as vocation and even maybe find mm. the work mm. that you're meant, meant to be doing. Um, I love to help people with that. And in fact, with vocationality, I'm starting to run workshops because that, that can help more people at a time 
um, but also work one-on-one -on -one as well. Right. For sure. In fact, that's how I met you. That's because, right. Because um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've talked for the past couple months and I heard yes. your story, but not only hearing your story that you're going to share in a minute, but um, you helped me tremendously to pinpoint mm -hmm. um, areas uh, that, that I, didn't, I didn't realize. You really helped me think through um, uh, you know, what my passions and interests and weaknesses and, and how to pinpoint more clearly what I need to be looking for. And, yes. and which is good. I'm so which glad. is absolutely tremendous. So I'm glad. personal testimony here for me, for you. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Listeners, yeah. take note. Um, well, good. Well, um, let's, uh, let's kind of dig in here. Um, okay. Y'all haven't always been at Fortis Riders or doing the vocationality yeah. stuff. Tell me, tell me about, uh, some of the things you've done in the past. So many years ago, I was convinced I was going to be a professor of English literature. So when you become convinced of something like that as a freshman or sophomore in university, you're pretty sure you should probably pursue that because there's, there's very few people who are becoming convinced of that sort of thing, at least in my experience. Um, often back in the day when I'd meet people and they'd say, oh, what did you study in college? Because that's, of course, what you ask when you're, you're that young, right? You don't ask what you do yet because nobody's doing anything they want to be doing. Normally, if I'd say English, they'd either get re a really sheepish look on their face and they'd say, oh, you know, I'm going to have to watch what I say now, you know? <laughs> or they would say, oh, I was terrible at English, you know? Like, no, that seems to be the subject that nobody really wants to love. But I did, always have, and um, so through university, I, I began pursuing um, a, a career, a vocation in teaching, and I got connected with the T.S. Eliot Society. T.S. Eliot was a writer I really identified with deeply, um, someone who was very innovative and experimental and became um, really um, well-respected for it, and mm -hmm. then became a believer and converted to Christianity and had to figure out, well, what does this mean now? Does this change my writing? Um, and he's a fascinating yeah. personality. So I got connected with that society. So by the time I finished university, kind of already had my game plan in mind. You know, I'm going to get a master's degree, going to get a PhD, I'm going to teach somewhere. And you know what, maybe one day I'll teach it, one of these ivory-colored... <laughs> Ivy covered walled <laughs> universities over in England, Oxford, or Cambridge, or whatever it is. And so I, I worked through a master's degree. And then, based on the circumstances at the time, I was finishing my master's in the middle of a school year. It's kind of awkward, you know? You can't just jump into another program. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make hay while the sun's shining here. I finished high school. I had finished high school in three years and, and roofed houses mm. during that. Mm. Uh, uh, a little year year off in between. Nice, so cool I thought, you know work. what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something here. I'm gonna go into business with a partner, hmm. and we'll start a roofing company, and I'll run it for several months until I get into this PhD program. You know, it sounds very much now that I'm saying it sounds very much like Jimmy Stewart. I'm you know, going saying, to start. I, I know a what I'm gonna do tomorrow, company. and the next day, and next year, and right. year after that. You know, I, I assumed that I just knew what was gonna happen. Wow. You know, how it was gonna unfold. Well, it didn't, you know, foreshadowing. This is where the organ plays, and you're like, <laughs> something's going to happen I, here. I wish I had an organ. Maybe, maybe I you could add, add a little organ here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the roofing company uh, went amazingly well and uh, amazingly terribly, mm. you know, at the same time. So uh, the well part was within eight or nine months, 
Um, I, had, I think I had 15 employees working for me, and we were on three separate job sites at the same time. Um, these are high-end communities, and um, anyway, we're just kind of surprised at how well things are going. Um, but at the same time, like things are not going well, partially because I'm a young guy. You know, I have no idea how to run a company, um, and I didn't do a great job at all of getting advice on that. Um, mm -hmm. And my partner really didn't know how to do that either. And so, in many ways, we were struggling as a company. Um, enough that went, by the time we got into the fall of that year, and I also started to realize, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm. And I mm. don't know, uh, I feel like I'm becoming unmoored from this dream to teach English literature, right? And so I, I really experienced uh, um, a nervous breakdown, I wow. think, that fall. And I just told my partner, I don't know what you need to tell the employees, but I don't think I can come into work for a little mm -hmm. while. Um, and if you like, we can talk about that a little bit more. So but that's because like that's not really absolutely, yeah. absolutely, wow. and really just feeling trapped almost. Mm -hmm. um, so then, uh, at the end of the year, my partner left the business. Now, it was a whole complicated thing. But looking back, I'm sure it was just you know, this doesn't seem to be a fit, and it doesn't seem to be working the way we expected, and so. With that, my whole plan of having this business short-term, selling it to the partner and then moving on, just wow. vanished. Right. So I ran the company by myself for a few months. Things went well, but I couldn't keep it open and you know, bring in new business and manage everything. It just, um, I, it was, I was way out ahead of my skis. Mm -hmm. And so it, it seemed obvious that I needed to close the company. Now, let me give you a little meanwhile here, because there's a meanwhile that's been happening too. Um, remember that dream of the PhD? I've been applying to PhD programs. And, the, and so that first year when I thought it'd be nine months in, I'd be in a PhD program, I applied to a program where I knew the professor personally. I knew him through the T.S. Eliot Society. And we were excited about working together. And it seemed like a sure thing. And I thought, hey, just, just in case, I'm going to apply to this other school here and this other school here, and this one that I'm sure I can get in, all right? I didn't get into any of them. Mm. Um, and it was very humbling. It was very humbling. Um, and in fact, the, you know, my friends in the T.S. Eliot Society were, were kind of perplexed too. You know, so clearly it was like an act of God, you know, in a way. I don't know if that's sure. true or not, but sure. it, you know, it felt like, well, somebody doesn't want me getting in right away. Um, I applied again the following year. And um, so right around the time I'm closing the company, I go to an accountant and I say, what's, you know, what's the aftermath here? You know, run the numbers for me. And she said, it looks like uh, you're about $80,000 in debt mm. at this point. Uh, one of the things that's tricky about running a company is you have all these overhead expenses. A lot of them are on annual contracts and so on. And so I couldn't keep the company open, but to close it was an $80,000 bill immediately, you know. Right. And I'm uh, without a job and this. And uh, within a week or two, get an email that says, you've been accepted to the PhD program <laughs> at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. <laughs> I did not know what to do. This, sure. this just felt like a, almost like a sick joke. Sure. Um, 
there's no way I could go. What time of year was this? So that would have been in the spring. Starting, yeah, the starting the PhD program. So, you know, it was for that fall, right? Right. You know? So that's impossible. Mm. I mean, or just utter foolishness for me to take that on and go mm. into a little bit more debt on top of the 80000 right? Right, right? So I think we were just a little shocked. We didn't know what to do. And another week went by, and they sent a follow-up email and said, oh, by the way, um, Will, the professor you wanted to study with, is going to be on, on research leave to write a book this year. So we don't normally do this, but if you'd like to go ahead and accept, but defer your start for another year, we'll let you do it. So okay. it just felt like the right thing to do. So, so I, before they could months. change their mind, right. I, could, I emailed back and said, yes, let's do it. Right. So I had 16 months, 18 mm. months, something like that to you know, figure this out. Well, that was kind of phase two. You know? Um, there was a lot of difficulty that we experienced during the time that I was owning the business mm -hmm. and it just wasn't going well and there were so many things I was learning that I did not know and I was learning them the hard way mm -hmm. but entering the next season was even more humbling because in order to pay off this debt we moved out of where we were we sold almost everything that we could put on a big yard sale. It's hard to hold a yard sale when you're not doing something exciting next. Not just a yard sale, but like, please, like if there's anything in here you want to buy, just make an offer. I'm not, we're, we, we're doing that tomorrow morning. Are you? But you're yes. doing something exciting next. Yes. You know, I yes. was like, let me do this so I can downsize <laughs> and we're going to move into my parents' basement. Right. You know? Right. Now, I love my parents. Yeah. But, uh, um, that's, that's not normally on your list, <laughs> your bucket list. Like, now, at least one time during our lives, we're going to move back in. And uh, both my wife and I worked two jobs, and all the money went toward the debt. Mm. That was really uh, exhausting, oh, you know, imagine. to work and work and work and work and know that everything we earned was disappearing into a black hole that was just going to get a little smaller and a little smaller mm. throughout that time period. And in fact, one of the jobs that I had was very difficult because the boss was a jerk and you knew you had done an amazing job because he didn't say anything insulting to you. Oh, um, so that was 16, 18 months. And by God's grace, we got to September of that following year and we were debt free. $80,000. $80,000. Yeah. Whew. That's yep. dedication. Well, a lot of hard <laughs> work. A lot of hard work. And grace. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Man. Okay. Well, let's, you know, step backwards a little bit and um, have a couple different stages there. Yeah. When you, you know, when you started, things were going great. You had the guy you were in partnership with yes. with the business, but you began to go, mm, I don't really like this. Mm -hmm. And the English thing, I don't, I'm not sure about. What was, what was going on inside you? What, what, um, yeah. I mean, how did, what were the reactions that you had? I think it's just turmoil is probably the best word for it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, how long did that last? That period. Well, the entire time, <laughs> you know, it's just different stages. So of once it started, it's there almost was, there like was different stages of grief. Uh -huh. Because uh -huh. even the very beginning of the company, if mm -hmm. anyone's ever started a company, um, they'll probably tell you the first part is kind of agonizing, and you don't expect it. Because 
uh, unless you're starting a company and you already have clients and they're like, please let me pay you some money. Like, when can you start? You know, that's right. a that's a pretty unusual experience. Um, normally, it's like, wow, we don't have any clients. How are we going to get some clients? You know, right. we need to spend some more money so we can market and get some clients. You know, so I think right away I there was cold water to the face. You know, this is not what you. Had planned. So the good idea of starting a business, you're like excited, <laughs> and then you actually get into yeah. it, and, you, and you're juggling mm. 27 different balls in the air, and you've never yeah. juggled before. That's right. And going, this isn't very fun. No, not at all. And I do like doing new things, yeah. you know, yeah. for sure. But I became aware immediately that I did not know who I was, mm. and that the, the shallow version of who I thought I was, I don't know, like, had I... Had I possibly even gotten myself into such a mess that I was not going to be able to be who I who I am, right, you know? After right, this, right? Like if I, I torpedoed that bridge, right? Right. Um, it was hard yeah. and very lonely, mm. and very lonely, um, you know, because that entire year that I was roofing houses, I would run into old friends. And say, oh, what are you up to these days? I don't know what's in their head at that moment, but whenever I would say, well, I own a roofing company, they would have the strangest look on their face like, well, I don't understand. <laughs> Did I hear that right? Uh, you know, so I, I felt like there was a whole short story I had to tell every time. Right, you know? right. And then, of course, when that even slid into mm. the year and a half of debt, I didn't know what to tell people right. when I saw them. You did know? you did you find yourself avoiding people? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. No. Mm. Wow. Um, what about how did it affect your relationships, uh, family? Mm. You know, even even moving with your parents. I mean, how yeah. did how did your yeah. anxieties and fears and you know, that turmoil mm-hmm. affect relationships? Yeah. You know, my parents were very gracious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tried to give us as much space as possible. Even though we were in physically in the same house, it tried to make it feel like uh, you know, we were in our own place. But your dad didn't say, "I told your English major wouldn't get you anywhere." No, fortunately <laughs> not. Fortunately not. But you know, I'm I'm sure that I was putting words in his mind mm-hmm. from time to time. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, either uh, you know, what were you thinking? Or at the very least, when you move back home, you feel like you've gone backwards. You know, um, and you know it must feel like it to them too. I think the hardest it was on my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Allison had never lived with my parents. She didn't grow up with them, and to her, I think she she in part w- was drawn to me. And I was drawn to her because both of us like big ideas and doing things, and you know, this thing I tried to do just didn't pan out. Yeah. And who am I married to now? And, and in, in addition to that, this person that I'm married to has done something now that means that I'm going to have to work a lot more and not see anything for that money. I think it was the hardest on her for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. How did you all weather that together? You know, it's interesting looking back. Um, I think we had just come out of a good season spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, think, that I think that must have been. Well, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where I've, in my own life, it hasn't been just like this constant climb where I'm like, you know, I'm feeling more <laughs> closer to Jesus every day, you know. I mean, there have been seasons that have been very hard 
and then there have been time, times when it feels like it becomes really easy again, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and in those times of struggle, sometimes you can kind of, when there's no gas in the tank, mm-hmm. you can kind of keep going on fumes for a little while. And so I feel like in a sense we're able to go, uh, in a sense I feel like we're able to go on fumes for a little while um, spiritually. I know it may sound weird, but no, like I there were it. maybe some small ideas mm-hmm. that we were able to remind ourselves of. Like I, I, I don't know if people have talked about this with you before. It's a very common thing for Christians to talk about, but the idea that God works things together for good. Mm-hmm. All right, now that's a, some people, you know, this is like a stick my finger in my mouth, like, ah, you know, like, oh. You know, and looking back, I think all of us probably have, have uh, sketched out a little personal dream of some sort when we were younger. Mm. And it probably made sense when we were younger. And if we think back to it now, we're like, oh, that's cute. Right. You know? Um, I think I was in the process of having my cute dream mm-hmm. um, set aside, thrown away, mm-hmm. burned. Oh, that's why brides, you know, the wedding day, but that's why they're so, they're at their very worst on their wedding weekend is because mm-hmm. of those expectations, mm-hmm. this childhood expectation of mm-hmm. what it was going to be like. And yeah. it never quite goes. Yeah. Like I'll tell you, I'm not good enough to live up to a bride's expectation. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know about no any way. other grooms. No yeah. way. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, through this process, it seems like God is really taking you through this. I mean, even, even mentioning you know, feeling in a good place spiritually, but then living off fumes. I've got a good friend that talks about you, you, um, uh, you have this, this well mm. of mm. God's goodness that he pours into you, and sometimes yeah. our wells go dry. Um, but because we had a well that was full or had water in it of his provisions and promises and stuff, there's still that sense that, we know that he's good, mm-hmm. even when it feels like we're just running on fumes. Definitely. That it does carry yep. us, does carry yep. us forward. And then on the other side of it, you look back and go, ah, "Of course, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't see why in the world would this roofing business tank." Yeah. But then on the other side of it, going, "Oh, mm-hmm. I get it." Yeah. Yeah, I, it reminds me almost of, of a woman I heard of before, and she had she developed Alzheimer's and even dementia. Mm-hmm. She was older, but this woman had spent a lot of time memorizing scripture when she was young and with a clear mind, and mm-hmm. she could remember all that. You know, yeah. I don't know what was going on in her mind yeah. at the time. She was very confused, but she was still able to draw out of the well. Wow. You know. Wow. Really we don't know what's going to happen in our future. Parents, so catechize so. your children. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, so, okay, so how then did you, because, you know, God working in your life, drawing you through that, you go to your Ph.D. program. Mm-hmm. How did you get to where you are now? How did you move from yeah. the roofing business? Yeah. You know, it really is interesting. Um, I'm going to get slightly nerdy for a moment, sure, but I, I think it should should be understandable. There's an idea called the Fibonacci sequence in mathematics. Okay, I um, believe you. <laughs> it's true. You look it up. It sounds like a Can pa- you spell sounds it? like a pasta. F i b o n a c c i Fibonacci. English major. <laughs> um, but you don't need to be intimidated. If I can understand you, that's as English Englishy as you need to get. Um, I'm not going to judge your grammar. Um, Fibonacci sequence is a series of numbers. Starts at zero, one, one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twen
four. All right, now, I don't know if you can see what's going on. This is almost like a Mensa test to see if you can tell what's happening with the numbers. But other than the zero and one, which is almost like this let there be light kind of moment where you go from zero to one, the Fibonacci sequence is the every new number is the sum of everything that happened up to that point. Mm -hmm. And then the next new number is the sum of everything that happened up to that point, right? So sure. I I'm promised you, slightly yeah. nerdy, right, but right. I, I, don't, I don't really know any other idea that really captures I'm that. I'm following you with that. I've, a, I've very much experienced my life so far as a Fibonacci sequence where, um, you know, that was a detour, uh, but it wasn't, Right. you know? Um, it's like there's GPS that, that God had to wherever I'm heading. I don't know where I'm heading. I know I'm becoming who I am, um, but it, we had a little detour. Um, and we went through the valley of the shadow of death, as it were, mm -hmm. right? And that was on the directions. Mm -hmm. And then when it was right, right time, we took a little exit out of that. And I've, I've very much seen that as I went, as I, let me say, tried to go into academia, hmm. I, I finished the PhD. I taught at St. Andrews for a little while. I taught at Clemson University for a couple of years. And uh, what I discovered was part of the reason that God was throwing away that um, that paper dream of mine was academia is a very tricky place to be in these days, mm. mainly because it's gotten so expensive and uh, it's become such a big business that it's, it's very rare to have a permanent job anymore. When I was teaching at, at Clemson, it was not a tenure track role. Mm. And, and most departments now, 80 plus percent of the teaching is done by temporary lecturers like I was right. and there are very few people who have an actual permanent job right and I had to work a second job to make ends meet wow. while I was teaching full-time at Clemson right. now that's not a bash on Clemson this is just how academia is now right. so uh, it was very clear looking back I should have gotten the PhD it wasn't a mistake you know like all this stuff gets pulled into the, God's creative process and he makes something out of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, in fact, even in the consulting that I've done uh, with companies and with, uh, with people now, I use all that, you know? Sure. That, that value of the shadow of death stuff comes up frequently, mm -hmm. you know, whether I tell that part of the story or not. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not in the same valley as other people are, but um, as my friend Brandon says, everybody has a range and it's made up of the best thing that's ever happened to you and the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And any time something increases your range in the positive direction or the negative direction, that's a good thing. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. And I had my range you know, pushed in the negative direction quite a lot. But as a result, I've noticed in my work now, it's, it's rare that I run into anything and I think, wow, this is really hard. You know, even right. the stuff that's hard, right. you know, because it doesn't seem anywhere like that stretch of years, right. you know. And when people are hurting, I haven't been exactly where they are, but I have been there. Right. You know, I, nothing was lost right. out of that time. Well, even, even when we were working through the vocationality stuff, you mm. telling that story kind of made me breathe a sigh of relief. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, otherwise, you're this guy who has this job that you love and yes. have always been in that kind of a position yeah. but you having gone through that brought some real um, depth mm. to what I was learning from you mm. 
that I don't know that I would have heard as easily or as well if yeah. you hadn't told that story. I understand. So, yeah. oh, that's good. Um, so what, what do you know now uh, more deeply about Christ hmm. because of what you've been through? What, hmm. are, what are some things that you go, yeah, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what I know about him now that you wouldn't have known if you yeah. hadn't been through it? You know, I think a lot of it is God's patience mm-hmm. and, and that we also see in Jesus. I'll maybe talk about it in that order. Um, you know, God, uh, this is a, slightly nerdy again. You know, God didn't have to create time. He did. Um, and part of what can happen if you have time is that things can unfold. They can grow. They can get into trouble, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? And he has a long view, clearly. Um, where he is either pursuing us or where he is coming alongside of us or where he is let, waiting until we call out for him or whatever, various mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. That um, he's not in a hurry, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's in part because he knows the beings that he's made us to be, bearing his image the way we do, part of the way that we're going to grow is through the experience of of suffering or of, of experiencing something that's painful mm. um, or that doesn't seem to end. Um, I think that teaches us in ways that sitting in a classroom and just trying to learn it as an idea never would work, you right, know? Right. Um, but in, in Jesus, um, I think I, I started to think about that idea a whole lot more mm. um, of just how patient he was. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know what it's like to step from outside time into time and then live there for 33 <laughs> yeah. solar years and um, you know be entirely, uh, um, I don't know, submissive in that way. Yeah. Just have an experience that is in, involves so much more suffering than uh, uh, what you were experiencing before. There was this song that my friend Chris Coley <laughs> introduced me to um, by Sam Amidon. It's called Kedron. And I think this must be an old text, although I'd never heard the song until Sam. And in today's society of really helping one another know who we are and who we're becoming. We're really not in touch with that at all. Mm. I think a lot of us are zombies or a lot of us are frustrated. And I think one of the best gifts that we can give to one another is it someone in your life, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter if it even seems like somebody who's got it all together and don't, they don't need to hear this. I think one of the best gifts we can give is to say, you know, Corey, and then just tell them, you know, I've noticed this about you. I think it's, I think it's really special, and that's an amazing gift that you have. I don't think everybody has that. Mm-hmm. That's really great. You know, what that does for you is it sets you free to live out that, the image of God in that way. Yeah. Where you may have just thought before, I don't know, do I have this? Oh, yeah. I think is that unusual? Are so, unsecu- you know? so insecure yeah. about, uh, about you know, what we're doing, mm-hmm. or, and, and we don't give feedback to other people to say, right. you're really good at that. Yeah. And so we, Everybody's desperately going, am I good enough? Am I? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. I don't know that it's uh, good enough at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's how, what, who am I made to be? Yeah. I think when we kind of change the question, at that point, because of course we're not, I don't know, what, what does good enough mean? Like, how would we possibly know that? It's like the, probably not a helpful question to ask. Right. You know, but who am I made to be? And I'm not going to be that perfectly. Of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's some freedom that comes with that. 
that we, we can be giving to one another on a regular basis. And I think that would bring in the kingdom and shalom in different ways than we're used to yeah. um, that would allow all of us to take more joy in our life. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fish Food. Two things to remember if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Simply go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support. That will take you to a link so that you can become a patron. And again, thank you for the support. <laughs>